0: Juice
1: at the dinner table. I'll start n-
0: singing that. I've not seen that probably. Ninety <laughs> percent sure they do. Yeah. Yeah. We should watch Beetlejuice. <laughs> I don't know any of the sounds
1: that he makes, so I can't join you. All I know is Deo. Deo. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the fresh off of work, and very tired, Kristen Bloom.
0: I'm sitting across from the hairless Brett Bloom. I
1: am the hairless Brett (laughs) Bloom. And just as work is miserable, we're here to talk 1990s.
0: I was like, where are you going with that? I, It was a
1: stretch. <laughs> Normally I've got something in the, you know.
0: <laughs> had nothing <for> to <laughs> You got there, though. Mm-hmm. You got there in the end. Already.
1: <sighs> Tentatively named the tremendous Tuesday.
0: <laughs> no. No. I'm just, I'm just not naming it. Oh, I didn't look up. Dang it. I always forget on the ones that aren't two stars to look up the...
1: The aggregate scores? Yeah. I'll go pull those up real quick and, while you're doing your little intro thing.
0: Um this was directed and produced by Rob Reiner. Screen The great Rob Reiner. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Brett seems to know apparently on a deeply
1: personal level. No, we—I've we, we, got the old DVD. It's a two-sided DVD. One's like the theatrical side, and one's the standard definition side. And we couldn't figure out which one we wanted to watch, so we flipped it like four or five times, and we would always get to the part where it was said "directed by Rob Reiner." And by then, I was convinced I knew who that dude was. <laughs> I'd, I don't know who Rob Reiner is. (laughs) Do you have any of his films?
0: I didn't look him up. I only did the actors.
1: Do a quick clip. He's known for When Harry Met Sally.
0: Oh, I do know that movie.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: So yeah, directed and produced by Rob Reiner. Screenplay is by William Goldman, but it is based on none other than Misery by Stephen King. (gasps) The master. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. It was produced by Castle Rock, distributed by Columbia Pictures. The budget was $20 million, which actually seems a little high for...
1: A film created almost entirely in a bedroom. How many yeah. times did they flip that car off the bridge?
0: Which, I mean, <laughs> they had like helicopter shots and stuff too, mm-hmm. so maybe that's part of it. And they did have to pull the uh, car up by a crane, so maybe it yep. was more practical effects. But yeah, $20 million seems a bit high for this to not be... But yeah, it's a movie that pretty much mm-hmm. happens in one place. But anyway, uh, Box Office, $61.3 so they Hell were yeah. not hurting <laughs> afterwards either way.
1: It did great. And our uh, ratings so 7.8 on IMDb, 90% on Rotten Tom.
0: Ooh, that dirty Tom.
1: That dirty Tom. <laughs> where do you sit with it?
0: Uh, probably an 80, 85.
1: I'd be right there with you. Yeah, yeah. like I, it's a
0: good movie. Um, it's one of those movies where... Scary movies have progressed so far since mm-hmm. that it's not a scary movie, but it's still like a tense, well-acted, well-done movie. Very
1: well-done movie. Cast. The cast? Oh,
0: sure. Cast. Oh, sure. <laughs> I
1: had to Google, even though I love this man, how to pronounce his last name. His name is James Kahn. and he <laughs> plays Paul Sheldon.
0: It's our main character. Uh, he's the author in this mm-hmm. movie. He plays Who?
1: Sonny in The Godfather. (laughs) And then Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes.
0: Kathy Bates has done a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. um, And I did not write down uh, what her most famous one is. Uh, uh, Character description, though. She's the number one fan. (laughs) She is the number one (laughs) fan. Um, She's... For more modern stuff, been in American Horror Story. Um, She was in Titanic. Mm -hmm. She's done.
1: I forgot she was in Titanic, and then I was going through her list of films, and I was like, I know exactly who she is. She's like the snobby upper class lady, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They get in the big argument at the bottom of the stairwell.
0: She's the upper class lady that's actually nice. Oh, okay. She's the only upper class lady that actually likes Leo.
1: Yeah, I just remember like the scene at the bottom of the stairwell when they learn that the boat is sinking, and then they have that little discourse with her in the ballroom mom i didn't know rosa's mom was on it
0: or yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, her her parents hate leo but kathy (laughs) bates character's the only like high society character that's nice Hmm. to leo um never mind (laughs) i was actually kind of surprised by her filmography i for some reason thought she had done a lot of way bigger stuff than she had not Mm -hmm. that she's not done a lot of big stuff she's just been in a lot of stuff and i think um i just think of her as being like this like Top of the line mm-hmm. A list celebrity because her performances are always so stellar. Um, honorable mention. I'm sure this is a movie a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's a fantastic movie <laughs> and it's a Kathy Bates movie. So if you have not seen it, you should check it out. Fried Green Tomatoes.
1: I, I feel like that was a bigger book than it was a movie. Is that am I accurate in that? I think I so.
0: Yeah, I think the book was pretty popular. Yeah. The movie is fantastically done, though.
1: Well, she was chosen. Um, I think it was Betty White was one of their choices. I've got I've got a list of or... for this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've got two I got one that's even funnier for Khan that I meant to bring up. But um they she was chosen almost automatically because they wanted somebody that would be far less recognizable than Khan. So once they had their Paul and they needed their Annie, they wanted somebody who would dominate the film but who as a you know, an established actor wouldn't dominate.
0: Yeah. I, I love Betty White. I could not imagine Betty White in a well, role, can though.
1: I, can I tell you who almost was Paul? Mm-hmm. Robin Williams was oh, one no. of the ones that they had. And my favorite one that they had was Bill Murray was almost Paul Sheldon. No. <laughs>
0: no. It's too serious of a role.
1: At the time that he would have been doing the Ghostbusters films. So that version of you know, no. Bill Murray. And then Robin, Robin Williams, I was sitting here going, I, I think he could have done it. Like I, because you've got his more dramatic roles. I Pat, think he would have... Crushed
0: Patch Adams. Yeah, but. he
1: would have had the energy for it. But when I read it, I was thinking of him as a comedic role.
0: <laughs> but he's never done like a role where the character's being tortured that I can think of. So I don't mm-hmm. know how he would have depicted the sledgehammer leg scene.
1: He played, that. that's fair, being tortured. I was sitting there thinking, well, he's been the bad guy in a couple of different no, things. No, I mean,
0: like, a character that's literally, like, violently yeah. being tortured. Like, he's he's played some really stellar, serious mm-hmm. roles, but...
1: Apparently, when they did that scene, uh, when they called cut on that scene, Khan looked over at the director and said, you're a sick fucker. <laughs> <laughs> We got Richard Farnsworth plays Buster.
0: That's our sheriff character. Um, I think he had done a lot of like really old famous movies, but mm-hmm. the one that I was like, oh, he was in Lassie. <laughs>
1: um, Frances Sternhagen as Virginia.
0: Yeah, she's the deputy, the sheriff's wife who's getting handsy in the, yeah, the car.
1: Ironically, not in the book. She's really? not a character in the book. Huh,
0: yeah. Didn't know that. Um, I just thought this was funny because this is also a Stephen King movie. She was in The Mist. Fuck
1: yeah. (laughs) Then uh, Lauren Bacall plays uh, Marsha Sindel.
0: Uh, This lady, her IMDb photo is like an old ass like black and white photo that looks like something from the 1920s. Like those Hmm. type of actresses. And um, I was browsing through her IMDb and she's done a ton of stuff too. And she had done recent stuff as well. Um, but I definitely get the impression she was like an old Hollywood starlet, like when she was younger, like she was yeah. like, that's how she looked in all her photos and all her roles look like she was like one of those young Hollywood stars back in the day. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've seen the movie. I know the book is super popular and I'm pretty sure the movie did pretty well too, but she was in, uh, murder on the Orient Express. Hell yeah. I just yeah. thought that was a fun one.
1: That's a classic story. It's a brilliant. Synopsis. The synopsis. Uh, Paul Sheldon, um is a like best-selling best best-selling uh, author um that one might confuse with Stephen King um who what
0: is, what is that stupid movie that we watched about the writer that stole her mom's book what was a world best selling author <laughs> or whatever the phrase was world internationally
1: like, best selling yeah. author or some shit like that
0: Paul's an internationally best selling yeah, author yeah yeah
1: and he is uh, famous like a lot of authors are for like a specific series so he has the misery series Uh, which follows his main character, Misery, apparently across all these journeys in her life. And there's drama and shit, and it's an awesome series, but you never get to read so much as a passage. And Annie is isolated up in the mountains, and that is her favorite book series. Can you imagine if Annie loved Harry Potter? She would have kidnapped J.K. Rowling. (laughs) Basically what goes down in this film. So Paul is driving down the road really quickly in a Mustang
0: on icy storm. roads
1: and a snowstorm. Uh, flips off in an embankment and is saved by Annie, who used to be a nurse. And then she proceeds to torture him <laughs> into writing the next Misery novel to save his own life. Because his new book, which is not about Misery, is too profane.
0: And uh, eventually it leads down the road of murder-suicide because <laughs> it turns out Annie is cray.
1: Annie is cray. cock it, Annie. Um. can can i do one more interesting yeah i've I've got i don't have many but i've got a few Um, so one of the other people that was thought for the paul is jack nicholson i could see that yeah jack nicholson turned down the role of paul i believe Definitely. Uh, Earlier in his career, James Caan turned down the role of Randall McMurphy in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So they were both considered for different films. And both of those films, the lead actresses, the psychotic nurse characters of both of those films, went on to win uh, the same exact award, the Academy for Best Actress. And the uh, woman from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was Louise Fletcher. She plays Nurse Ratchet. Huh? Yeah, I thought it was like an interesting little weird. spider web. Huh. Jack Nicholson also won Best Actor for his performance, and James Caan did not. <laughs> <laughs> but the films both had psychotic nurse fun that fact. went on for Academy ship.
0: I have a fun fact for you. Um it's fun
1: fact it up. <laughs> fuck it, fun fact.
0: So you knew this already, but in the novel, um, instead of smashing Paul's feet, Annie chops them off with mm-hmm. an axe. Um, apparently... Goldman. Who is Goldman? I don't know who Goldman is. Whoever Goldman is, though.
1: I think he's the screenwriter. Loved
0: the scene. Yeah. Is that who I said it was? It is. Screenwriter. Loved the scene and uh, argued, tried to keep it in the movie. Mm -hmm. And um, Reiner, the director, was like, no, we're (laughs) we're changing that. Um, So they switched it to breaking of the ankles and um, I guess after they had done the screening the movie, Goldman came back and said that he thought it was the right decision because he thought the visual depiction of Annie mm. amputating Paul's legs on screen would cause the audience to hate her instead yeah. of sympathizing with her. My question for you, though, is do you find Annie to be a sympathetic character?
1: We'll get there in a minute. Can I fill you in with a little part that was kept out of the film? No. Okay.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: in the novel, um, at one point, it, it's coming up on Paul's birthday, and he still has not accomplished anything due to his lackadaisical typewriter and these drugs that are much bigger in the book than they are in the movie. So she saws off his thumb uh, with a turkey carver and then bakes him a birthday cake with the thumb as a um, unlit birthday candle. So Annie goes a lot harder in the novel.
0: Of course. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's odd. Do they say what the books that he writes are about in the book at all? I,
1: I think that they give you like vague shit in chapter one, but Paul's more of a a drug addict uh, who's recently stopped taking drugs and thus has stopped writing Misery. So now he's trying to write, I think it's called Fast Cars, is the book that he's wanted, that's in his satchel when he crashes. Mm-hmm. He's Harmonic wanting to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's
0: driving a fast car? Oh my
1: god. <laughs>
0: um,
1: But... Yeah, the drugs were a bigger thing. What was I in the middle of?
0: I asked if uh, they mentioned what the book's about.
1: I think that there's a small thing in that first chapter, if I remember correctly, where like he's explaining to his agent how fucking retarded these books are. Sorry for the word. I've been reading Generation Kill.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's because James Caan is the person who got cast to play him, but he just does not strike me as a dude writing an 18th century love story (laughs) for eight books. Mm -hmm.
1: I'm like, that
0: doesn't seem like that
1: would have been your road. Yeah, well, the thing with the, the novel is King has come out and explained that it's more or less about his overcoming his... own substance abuse problems because king used to have like a legendary coke issue Mm -hmm. and then he would wife
0: had to intervene
1: and his wife had to intervene and annie becomes his drug addiction she cripples him she isolates him she stops him from being able to do the work that he wants to do and she's also representative of like the amount of pressure that king was under to continue putting out incredible stories by his savage ass fucking fans (laughs) like it's an interesting metaphor Mm -hmm. that's baked into it about King's actual drug addiction and the fact that they left the addiction out of the um, movie movie. takes something away from it but you can't make an entire Stephen King you fucking forever uh,
0: In the book, do you remember, did he actively stop taking the drugs like he does in the movie?
1: Because he has to overcome, because he'd been addicted to opiates, and then she puts him on an opiate, and he can't do anything. So he has to, like, wean himself off of it. And, like, in every Stephen King, like in the Green Mile, he's got a urinary tract infection. Like, in every Stephen King, there's some sort of, like, body sensation that reflects the outside world. So you go through a lot of him trying to overcome himself so that he can overcome annie and get out of the house
0: that's creepy she chops his thumb off though (laughs) again i ask you is annie a sympathetic character
1: no (laughs) (laughs) she is i mean we relate on one level her her mental illness is explained as bipolar disorder so like we get along just dandy there in the movie yeah very brief it's in articles um it's explained in the book that's what she suffers from is bipolar one, this delusional state that I've uh, not done anything that Annie ever did. I I tried to feed a sandwich. I have both my thumbs. And (laughs) I just tried to feed a sandwich to a homeless person. I was convinced was living in my closet. But that's the explanation. So we'd get along there. Surely we could just talk about the hallucinations and the rage states.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I find that, because that was straight from the Wikipedia that they were um, saying they chose not to chop off the feet because Mm -hmm. they thought audiences wouldn't sympathize with Annie. And I don't know that sympathy is the right word. Yeah, I would definitely argue which is strange because I think Paul is definitively the main character Mm -hmm. of this story and it's Paul's story that we're following and I think we're supposed to kind of corral behind Paul and cheer for him but there's not and I don't know how long the movie is. I guess I should...
1: It's like an hour 40
0: 107 something, seven
1: minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that was spot on. An hour 40 something is roughly 107 minutes.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I find it interesting that the movie doesn't feel long, it doesn't feel like it drags on, um, or anything like that, but it also feels like we're missing a lot. So, I wonder. Mm-hmm if things should have been adapted a bit or kind of rearranged or if it should have been extended. Because, yeah, I don't find either of their characters terribly sympathetic yeah. to be honest like,
1: you, Annie is almost the more sympathetic character in, in a strange flip but like Paul seems to exist simply to get out of the room mm-hmm. in the film but that's because you don't get the inner di- dialogue that you're allowed to have like in a novel mm-hmm. in a novel you can what is he thinking about as he's doing the bathroom lock you mm-hmm. know like how he's maneuvering through the house if he he doesn't have like a strained look on his face. He doesn't seem terribly panicked. He yeah. seems video gamey as we talk about mm-hmm. quite a bit. I
0: like think the only time he really seems under pressure is whenever he's in physical oh pain.
1: I <laughs> at the beginning of the show. Oh, <laughs> like, when,
0: <laughs> like whenever he falls out of the uh, wheelchair or whatever, or falls out of the bed, yeah. and he's like sweating because he's in so much pain. That's about the only time um, he really seems believably mm-hmm. under any stress. But I, I don't think I'd say Annie's sympathetic she's a very compelling character and i think that's in large part due in this movie anyway to kathy bates performance Mm -hmm. um because man she could turn it on and off like that
1: yeah it it was but it always seemed like it was bubbling like right underneath the surface Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and she she could like flip her shit in like a very convincing like holy fuck kind of way and then just come back and be like oh i'm so sorry (laughs) you know and like i'd buy like oh she's Harmless, I think.
1: Yeah, there's an innocence to her rage. Like, Mm -hmm. she throws temper tantrums like a child, you know, but the temper tantrums are, it's not. Adult-sized. Adult-sized.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, I think that's interesting, and I haven't read the book, so I don't know Mm -hmm. if the books may be more successful It's one of the
1: canonical king. I don't own all the Stephen King. If you do, I question your sanity, because there's (laughs) hundreds. But it's one of the earlier... You know it was during the Paul Bachman years, so it was like I think Paul Bachman I know Bachman was the good last name, um, but it was during the Bachman books that he was he was planning on releasing this as a Bachman, and halfway through writing misery, the audience caught on that King was Bachman, mm-hmm. so I believe if you read the um,
0: the dedication
1: Paul page. Yeah, if you read the dedication page to the misery book, it's um dedicated to Bachman, if I remember correctly, who died of cancer of the pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny, like... actually. <laughs> oh yeah, so I don't um
0: and you have read the book, so maybe yeah. um you can kind of elaborate on that. I don't know if the book pulls it off a bit more successfully, but I think not that um James Caan does a bad performance by Mm -hmm. any means. Like, there's a lot of, like, witty little comebacks that are fun. This is,
1: like, his first reactionary character, too.
0: Yeah, but, like, his character does feel kind of helpless to the circumstances. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not like he's affecting the circumstances in any way. And Kathy's, like, just dominating every scene she's in. Yeah,
1: it's incredible. Yeah, so, like,
0: her performance (laughs) and her character in the movie is just significantly more interesting. So it's kind of wild at the end when she dies, and... um, paul gets away like you don't really care that much yeah
1: it's like well good luck with your journey paul but you know <laughs>
0: he's like walking with the cane and i was like oh he's gonna be feeling the pain from that the rest of his life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it wasn't it like it does leave you, you it. it does
1: leave you with a weird feeling like you're almost sad to see annie die
0: i was sad that the sheriff died and that was the only death that i was like
1: <laughs> no <laughs> You don't really get him much out of his character either. No. He's kind of like the bumbling dude yeah. in uh fucking last house on the or, yeah last house on the left. The I sheriff who's like climbs up in the chicken coop <laughs> or, or the chicken truck. Really. I
0: was literally the only character whose fate I was worried about, and I remembered that he died because I'd seen it. Taken out
1: with a small bore shotgun.
0: <laughs> like I remembered that he died because I'd seen it before, and I was like, ah, oh, damn it, he does die, doesn't he? <laughs> and then yeah, and he does, and I'm like ah, oh, well, I mean, bitch was crazy, and then. Paul lives, and I was like, ah, well.
1: Saw that coming. He's the hero.
0: (laughs) So it's weird. I don't know. Did the book like give you a bit more of like a desire to cheer Paul on? Yeah.
1: Well, that's what I was saying earlier. Is in a novel you get a lot more of the inner dialogue. It would be weird if we had James Caan narrating how Paul felt as like a voiceover during the scene. That would feel like '40s film, you know. Mm -hmm. And there I was trying to pick my way out of the door. Whereas being able to read it, you can have all of those thoughts as the action's going on. So you're not just sitting in silence watching a video game type thing. Like, I need to go to the kitchen so I can get the lighter fluid. You know?
0: Get that big-ass <laughs> no, butcher knife that she's definitely going to notice is missing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I need to overcome my, you know, my pills, so I stuff them in my mattress. Like it, You don't get any of the emotion or the logic happening in his head. And when you're dealing... Oh, sorry, I got the burps. Um, While we're dealing with a film, you know, it's not old, but it is 31 years old at this point. So as you were saying, with the horror genre having come so far, like you need to give me more or I don't feel like you're telling me enough information. And now I just feel like I'm watching a 1980s war movie where I've got to go crawl across the barbed wire because that guy needs to get blown up. And
0: I think the thing that's saddest for me, um, which I don't know how long the book is. Is the book fairly long? It's pretty short. It's kind of
1: like the long walk. Gotcha. Um, It's not like the stand.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess still either way, like several hundred pages. Mm
1: -hmm. Probably three, four hundred.
0: Yeah, several hundred pages of writing. Most movies are, you know, roughly 160 pages Mm -hmm. or whatever because each page is a minute yeah um so you aim for like 120
1: minutes or 120 pages and then you cut it back from there
0: yeah um so you're probably yeah, having to realistically cut a lot from the original story but like the thing that bugs me i guess is like because we don't get to know really much of anything about paul except for he's a writer who's been stuck writing the series that he doesn't want to write and mm-hmm. he wants out of like we don't Learn like we know he has a kid, but we don't learn anything about if he's still married, if he's yeah. divorced, what's his relationship like with his children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does he have friends? Yeah. Like, what type of writer is he when he's like struggling to write a book, or when he's really like got some momentum going? We don't learn anything about Paul the person. Mm-hmm. So Paul in this really difficult situation just feels kind of like cold and detached and doesn't yeah. really seem terribly concerned himself if he lives or dies.
1: <laughs> I think that's just Khan. Con. Khan's
0: just <laughs> fuck it. I'm here. I
1: was sunny. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so like, I, like I, I'm what are ways to... that
1: we could have represented more of that without like robotic dialogue. Do you think, because I'm trying to think in my head, overcoming the inability for film to have the inner monologue running like it can in a book simultaneous to the action. Should we have had a scene where he gets his wallet back and he's like looking at the picture of his kid and then stuffing that in with the pills?
0: I feel like I just needed some kind of... More setup? Maybe. And like it doesn't necessarily have to specifically be his kid in particular. Like it could be... Because we get like a brief flash of it whenever he has to burn his own book that he is upset by this. So even if the motivation was just writing consumes his life and that's his big passion in life. Like Mm -hmm. some kind of sense of what is Paul fighting for to live for? Because like I said, at the end when he walks away, it doesn't feel like a hooray. It's like, Oh, this dude who didn't really seem to care much about life. survives (laughs) we
1: don't go back to a family we go back to lunch with his agent so like he exists as a writer and a writer alone he's not a fully fleshed out character yeah
0: and even whenever he's hallucinating that annie's there like he doesn't have a reaction he's like yeah i see her sometimes (laughs) and the chick says i'm your number one fan and that would normally be a little off-putting and he's just like thanks (laughs) so like i want to know what does paul live for what's paul willing to die for Mm. like what Make surviving the situation significant to Paul, like no. do we get a sense of that in the book?
1: It's the well, yes, but I can't tell you uh the big plot point at the end. I'll tell you in ten seconds how about that if you're reading misery or plan to read misery, you can plug your ears
0: one three, and a two, two and a three who?
1: four five, and a six seven eight nine, ten, he burns an empty stack of paper keeps the book. Goes There's, on as a publishing career with the misery book based on Annie.
0: So <laughs> she doesn't will it in and put it in the, the...
1: No, the one he burns at the end when he calls her in and oh. says, I've got the last one. And then he oh. lights it on fire in front of her.
0: Oh, so he keeps doing the series he hates?
1: Well, that's the whole point of the movie. Is like he writes this under basically a hostage negotiation scene with his dimensions of hell with drugs and, you know the devil, literally, in the room hobbling him. He makes his escape with the last one of those he's ever going to write, and it becomes another bestseller that, like, revives his whole thing because he's overcome his struggle now. I'd
0: say that's fun and also sad at the same time because yeah. he wanted out of the series. I do find it Well, hilarious. then he moves on to
1: write fast cars, like, his, like the whole last chapter as he goes on to write one that is more... Personal to him that he's writing for himself, having overcome, but it's almost like him letting go of misery as opposed to the ending of the movie. You don't get that sense of, okay, well, now I am done with this mm-hmm. and I can move forward.
0: I do find the bits where she's like coming in to talk to him about little snippets of the story hilarious, where she's like, oh, of course. That deadly beast thing that only one other person has survived, and the Crypt Keeper remembered it, so she must be of noble blood. Like, like, I think that's the movie, clearly, I don't know if that's in the book or not, the movie clearly poking fun of itself, because... Yeah. Like, you know, the dude writing it, sitting there going, this is fucking stupid.
1: (laughs) Do you think it's it's King poking at his fans? Because that happens a few times in the novel as well. Um, And fans, yeah, the Stephen King fans that have read every single one of them are upsetting people because he's built this network of connection between every single one of his books. So you can read something out of Misery that's going to pull you back to something about it, and it might be two separate characters telling so the same story. They
0: all happen in the same town for the most part. Yeah,
1: they all happen at least in the same county, um, which is the name of that production company, Castle Rock. Um, huh.
0: I didn't know that. Where
1: you get like dairy, and I learned that today, and I'll tell you why in a minute. <laughs> but like you, you get these insufferable Stephen King fans. We're like, well, in Cujo, you said that the guy from Carrie never met the guy from It, but in It, he knows him as a best friend. He was his bully, and then when um fucking. Is it Catherine, the one about the car that fucking Uh Christine. Christine. And Christine, the guy that was the bully in it part two, is the driver of Christine when he dies in the car they they all tie mm-hmm. all I around. Think
0: Christine is either in Cujo or Cujo's in Christine. There's like a crossover yeah. between those well,
1: Christine's two. Christine's in it.
0: But I think she's also in And Christine in Cujo.
1: also becomes the Mr. Mercedes series. He, he does these crazy intricate webs.
0: It's like the Marvel Universe, but...
1: One man. Scary. On cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing about Castle Rock, I learned that there's a show on Hulu today, and that show's title is called Castle Rock. And they've basically taken the Stephen King universe and done like an American horror story thing with people that live in the towns hmm. that all have these same fucked up stories. And season two, the main character... Is Annie.
0: That seems like plagiarism. <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. You're stealing someone else's concepts and making a different story. <laughs> unless Ken gave him permission. Yeah, it might be a King Castle him Rock him production.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, okay. Uh, kind of closing out this thought. Paul aside, though, um, I am mad that the way that we learn about how crazy Annie's supposed to be is through a fucking scrapbook. Yeah, that was lame. I'm mad about that.
1: Yeah, she should have had, like, a caretaker come up to the house or something, and then, like, her have to explain it to Paul. It goes into a lot more detail in the book as well.
0: (laughs) Anything. The townsfolk seem pretty chill about her living in their town, too, and she apparently murdered a ton of babies. (laughs) I would imagine that's
1: all of their children.
0: (laughs) Went to jail for a brief enough time that she's still pretty young. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I want to know why they didn't chase her down with pitchforks and why she's allowed to live, like, within reasonable distance of the city limits. And she's literally been murdering people her whole life. She murdered people to, like, get her career. For some reason, murdered people to get her career and then started murdering her patients. And I want to know why.
1: Yeah, no, she's the serial killer. (laughs)
0: Like, the first part of the little... Book makes perfect sense because it's like, oh, this chick did better her, than her yeah. in school, so she killed them because she wanted yeah. to be the best. And then she killed the dude that was the director of the department she wanted to be in, so she could direct the department. Yeah. And, and then, then she
1: drowned her own daughter, and then started murdering babies. Did
0: she drown her own daughter? It's, that's in not...
1: the, it's in the book. Oh,
0: that's not in the <laughs> scrapbook. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then starts murdering babies, and we mm-hmm. don't get any sense of why. And then Paul just rolls back into the room, and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know. <laughs> so like the like bomb drop that should be that knowledge that she's so crazy she murders babies. Yeah. It's just kinda of like oh. How's it going,
1: Annie? How's it going? Also learned uh that the phone is gutted for some weird reason. I don't know why you did that, but <laughs> alright Annie. yeah crazy old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'd
0: like Kathy Vates crushes the role, but like I I wanna know more about what makes Annie tick. And not through a scrapbook of her own kills. She keeps and leaves right out in the yeah. open for anybody to find.
1: I would almost that they gave us no reason outside of she's nuts. You know? And, like, leave My out number the... Number one fan. Yeah, leave out the scrapbook. Just make it that she's his number one fan and is obviously having a psychotic break right now. I don't need to know that this is, like behavior that's carried on for 30 years, I I would prefer it if it was so dialed into him that she was going insane that he didn't like her. Mm -hmm. Because that feels more believable. Dear Stan.
0: I would have even (laughs) been okay with just one or two. Like, if she had killed the chick because she wanted to be the best in her graduating Mm -hmm. class and if she had killed the person that had the job she wanted and if she had killed her husband because maybe her husband didn't love her the way she wanted to be loved. Because then you build... Um, this history of this character who's driven mad by her need to be the best, and yeah. then so or by it, rejection, well, yeah, yeah, both, yeah, um, so then this like obsession with having to be it can't just be i'm a fan, I'm mm-hmm. the number one fan, nobody loves you more than I love you, so like this obsession with having to be the absolute best at everything and needing to be recognized for that mm-hmm. would then be more compelling like i don't get i mean the novel probably has some kind of justification for it but i don't get why in the book we acknowledge that she murders babies because like you'd think she'd hit the point of her career where she was happy
1: if i remember correctly it's because she drowned her own daughter in a psychotic episode and then winds up murdering because she can't be a mother.
0: And if we had delved into that, I'd have been like, okay, cool. If that's
1: not exactly it, don't yell at me. I haven't read that book in eight (laughs) years.
0: (laughs) But if we didn't have time to dive into that, like I know there's some hesitancy to kind of rewrite stories that are existing stories, especially when they're successful. But if we didn't have time novel-wise to dive into that, we could have just left it at like this need for perfection and this need to be the best. So she's killed off a couple of people. Mm -hmm. She's obsessed with being loved by him and being his number one fan or whatever and it would have felt a bit more like oh this lady's dangerous (laughs) do you
1: think that that's an overall fault in film when adapting i mean king definitely has a pattern like if you read enough king it's oh my god there's the snow they can't leave now oh no that person went crazy oh shit the kids saved the day wow like there's a, like there's like a, a, a almost a predictable pattern to mm-hmm. sp- specific genres of king which he's broken out of at times and the people that like the canonical books are not the people that like the breaking of the king pattern ironically like there's something comforting and kind of you know knowing that the storyteller has this consistency to him mm-hmm. but Stephen King hated the Shining film. He loved Misery.
0: I was going to say, I think he said this was (laughs) one of his best adaptations. And
1: I disagree with him. Entirely, like there are definitely worse adaptations, but I think Carrie is the most spot-on book to screen.
0: Wasn't the Shining movie fairly different
1: from the book, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shining movie was different, but Kubrick didn't try to make a page-for-page remake. And I think whereas these other ones are trying to do the book.
0: I think at some point maybe ego comes into play there. Stephen King is a very prolific writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kubrick is a very prolific director, so then <laughs> if someone comes behind you yeah. and makes a more popular version of your work...
1: No, The Shining, the book, is incredible.
0: But I, th- I think the movie was more successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably going to be a little Stanley salty. Kubrick, yeah, Stanley
1: Kubrick didn't have the shrubs turn into giant teddy bears that chased <laughs> people around the yard and all that weird shit. That probably little...
0: going to be a little salty mm-hmm. that somebody changed your work and did it well. <laughs>
1: yeah because i think some film adaptations get it right but with king it feels like they almost always get it wrong the first uh it movie people love that one the one that has the i hate, that movie. I, I hate the fucking made-to-tv it but the remake it chapter one absolutely loved it the one that was all about the kids it chapter two can go fuck itself <laughs> Because they relied on the CGI and they tried to recreate the great spider as opposed to like, do what you did right in the first one where, you know, we saw what we needed to see, but you left a lot to the imagination, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Stephen King issue, but it seems to be when I see a book written by Stephen King, I'm very excited to read it. When I see a film... Based on something by Stephen King, I feel, like, combative the second I walk into the movie theater.
0: I don't think a lot of his books are super short as part of the problem. And I think a lot of film adaptations try, because you don't want to split up a work that wasn't originally split up, try to cram these larger concepts into smaller works. That's fair. And I, I think that's where... For Me, Lord of the Rings kind of fell too. Is they're really long books and they, um,
1: really long movies.
0: <laughs> well, they originally I learned, that, I learned
1: that earlier this week, it was four hours long. <laughs>
0: they originally were faithful to, like, it wasn't a cash grab, they were faithful as they could be to the concept of the book. And, like, The Hobbit, they split The Hobbit's the shortest book of them all and they split it into three movies because <laughs> they wanted to make money off of it. Um, but because they tried to keep the pacing of the book, a lot got lost in translation. Like, the movies are incredibly well done, but there are, if you read the books, a lot of things missing. Yeah. That, like, people were initially like, I'm kind of a little bothered by that, and Mm -hmm. I was kind of bothered by some things, too. So, yeah, I I think... I think that's the danger of trying to take these dense works and cramming them down into something that's fast-paced and, mm-hmm. and a visual audience is going to enjoy. Like, you lose a lot in translation.
1: I think we have the ability now with the concept of the mini series mm-hmm. you yeah. know, where now I feel like you could do misery. I feel like you could actually do... You couldn't do Cujo. That's a ridiculous statement. But you could do The Shining in a way that would shatter people. And you could well, do it over three seasons. <laughs> well,
0: they did it with The Mist. I don't know how many mm-hmm. seasons it made it. I know it eventually got canceled. But I've seen the movie The Mist, and I remember just thinking it was kind of so-so. Like, mm-hmm. I, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't blown away by it. And stuff. Like, oh, but... is there a
1: weather element outside and we're not allowed to leave? <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. Well, well there are monsters in The <laughs> Mist, and
0: you have that really impactful. Have you seen The Mist? No. Oh, okay, so I won't spoil it. You have a really impactful scene at the end with the main character and this woman and this child he's traveling with that's like, ugh, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, that final scene is kind of gut-wrenching, so... I'm not saying the movie was poorly done, but, like, there were moments where it was, like, it's a little cheesy and, like, a lot of... Aren't they,
1: like, stuck in a supermarket or some shit like that? Yeah.
0: Um, Because there are monsters out in the mist. And, like, that's the problem with, I feel like, Stephen King's adaptations is, like, he has these really quirky visual elements that Mm -hmm. especially older movies could not translate. Like, the monsters look silly. Um, well, he
1: never fully fleshes them out in the novels because they're they're mostly like the hallucinations of over imaginative children well, when he does the big monster like it's seen from Danny's perspective when like the hedge like turns into a bunch of like teddy bears and shit, but like you only see like he describes the shadow here or like a slimy element there well, and that works
0: when you're reading because your brain feels creates in. the rest yeah, of it yeah and so yeah. you see it and what freaks you out or what kind of makes you tick and but when it's literally on a screen you're like mm, i don't know about that <laughs> um but they made a tv series of the mist and i heard it was really good i've not seen it but i i've heard it was incredible so yeah like maybe um instead of trying to break it up into like two feature films like mm-hmm. doing a mini series and stretching it out over several discs that people can enjoy an hour at a time would be um a better way to tackle some of his works because yeah yeah, some of them it's like oh well you left a lot out. <laughs> yeah like, I'm
1: I'm I'm never going to read the stand. Uh,
0: the movie's not that great.
1: Like and that's what I keep hearing cuz people are like well they didn't get it right and it's like it's over a thousand pages. It's fucking huge.
0: It's like three separate discs. The movie's yeah. pretty long. Like
1: I'm never going to I own it. <laughs> like, I'll forever own the stand, <laughs> but I don't I it would take me a year and I'm I read every day. <laughs> I'm terrified. But then again, my brother read like all the Harry Potter books and one of those is really big too. So maybe, maybe it's possible, but like it's, it's really big and the words are really small. When you're reading the stand, it feels like you're reading the Bible. Like if I have an hour, I might get through a page and a half. It's about
0: biblical stuff. So that's apropos.
1: Apropos. (laughs) And he was still on cocaine. (laughs) It makes me nervous. It's not as like accessible as misery or Cujo or Carrie, you know, it's not the shot or it's, it's bigger than the shining it's roughly the same size as it and i've read it but that took me three months
0: (laughs) i've read a lot of the harry potter books i've not read them all but there are some that i think are like between five and seven hundred pages but the type is like reasonable type (laughs) it's not like teeny tiny print (laughs) but um since we've been talking about um his works and some of his consistencies i I find that interesting um, in this movie. Like it, It's not a very original thought, but this idea of this location almost being a character itself. And mm-hmm. there is something really compelling, I think, about Annie's character technically being isolated, but she's not really that far outside of town. Yeah,
1: she has the ability to drive in, but she lives alone out here as a, you know... A mountain woman yeah, know, capable of throwing a grown man over her shoulder and walking him through the snow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and especially, yeah, in the snowy season, you probably kind of stock up and don't leave your house for like a good week or two at a mm. time. Um, just because the robes are too hazardous. But I I find it interesting, and he's done it in other works. Well. Yeah, it's part of his pattern. Well, I mean, he's done it well in other works. It's not always like kind of cheesy. Yeah, you but... can't,
1: can't leave the hotel in The Shining because you're stuck in a blizzard.
0: Yeah, and I I find it compelling that in this work in particular, Paul doesn't really question the fact that he can't leave so we mm-hmm. don't feel like it's super odd. And then, um, I don't know, like the house itself is almost alive. Like there's all these like quirky little yeah. trinkets that kind of make up who Annie is so much so that when the penguin isn't facing due north or mm-hmm. whatever it was, um, she realizes he's been out of the room, and that's such a small detail. Yeah.
1: You can't alter any part of her surrounding. Mm-hmm. She also doesn't have a dog. She has a pig.
0: She has <laughs> cows and stuff, too, and we never see the cows. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, I because they do aerial shots of her yard, and I'm like, where are the cows? <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I like that, the, the penguin. So she is so familiar with her his work and her world mm. that they kind of bled into each other at some point and she knows that it points due west and so you <laughs>
0: and i like that the. House... what are you doing
1: paul oh paul
0: it's cockamamie <laughs> <laughs> i like that the house is such a bizarre place that it doesn't feel tedious that we never really leave it like the only time we ever get to leave the house is basically when annie goes to town like mm. we do see the sheriff and stuff but we as the audience are almost always in the town or in the house and I feel like almost every room in the house is its own personality which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. I, and I don't know if that's true in the book as well or if that's coincidence of the how the movie was shot but you know, we're most familiar with Paul's room, which is very empty and very bland. Mm-hmm. There's basically a bed, and then once she gives him the work table, he has a work table and a typewriter, and that's it. Like, he doesn't have any stuff.
1: I read a little trivia piece where the entire production crew applauded when they learned that they were allowed to move four feet from where they'd been shooting for the past couple mm-hmm. of weeks to get that scene after he comes out of the door. They got to move from where they were standing Company in move. the corner of the bedroom to the other side of that exact same wall <laughs> and they were so fucking pumped like, that they cheered as they were marching. That's lane. hilarious.
0: But yeah, so you you get this like really isolated, trapped anxiety in this isolated house of Paul's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And then the first time we leave the house, it's almost like, "Ooh, there's so much shit here. Like there's these trinkets and these photos and a whole display of me." Yeah. And and Every room, like I, I like that he tries the front door first instinctually as the exit, and it's locked, and he doesn't give up.
1: Walked so he keeps buy a key from the inside, which is another beautiful paranoia of Annie.
0: Mm-hmm. But, and I, I like that he doesn't give up there; he keeps trying the other room. So every time he goes into a new room, it's like, oh, there might be a phone in this room, mm-hmm. or there might be a weapon in this room, or there might be an exit in this room. So every room feels. Almost like the promise of Paul getting out of this situation, yeah. but also the potential Paul setting himself up for failure. Like he hits the penguin or the phone has been gutted mm-hmm. or he takes the biggest knife in the entire house that she's definitely <laughs> going to notice is missing. I was
1: there screaming, grab the paring knife. Get the paring knife. <laughs> it's right. my favorite knife. I would think it was in the dishwasher. <laughs>
0: But it, it almost it literally, like we've talked about this before, makes the house feel like it's a character and like it's alive because it's like, what's gonna be in the next room and mm-hmm. what are we gonna find? And um, even whenever he gets the knife, you know, it ultimately ends up being his betrayal, and she finds the knife and then chops his legs. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a really nice use of location where you don't ever really see that much, but at the same time. It feels kind of telling of the space, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Add and, add to it. I'm, I'm lost. It was like, yeah, of course, <laughs> that, it was brilliant. No, it, it it makes like everything feel like a trap around him. Like I'm in this room. She could come home right now. I'm never gonna make it back.
0: Yeah, and yeah, because no. he literally can't walk, and uh, the wheelchair won't fit into the kitchen at all. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I gotta crawl back across this floor. And, <laughs> Crawl my ass back up in a bed.
1: Yeah. I'm right there with you. Like.
0: <laughs> I'm having the problem you had with last week. <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> Unlike our dynamic, though,
1: the characters I, no, have I, dynamic. I, no, I... I <laughs> I like I like that. Brett and I, I, I have no dynamic. I do enjoy. No, sometimes I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. She nailed that fucking thought. Shot <laughs> it through. The, well, like the trinkets are different in every room. Like so, like you almost get like this time capsule of the person that is Annie regardless like i feel like annie lives in that house the way she lives now that paul is in that house even when paul is not in that house i feel like she has the need to unlock her front door with a key and then lock it again with a key on the outside like that 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 quirky little fucking detail like she's anal retentive and everything that she does you will take your pill right now you will do this you will do that and if you don't do that i'm going to throw a temper tantrum i'm going to go off the fucking rails and so the whole house is this strange element of order and chaos simultaneously and that it happens in their interactions with each other whether paul's been a good boy or whether annie has made a mistake when Annie makes mistakes, we get these almost, like, romantic scenes between the two of them, of Mm -hmm. the lighting the candles and of drinking the wine and then him trying to poison her in that piece. And then when we do the other side, Paul gets his ankles broken.
0: (laughs) I find it fascinating, too, that, um... So Annie has all these little trinkets. Um, and my mom was really big into little ceramic bears growing up. She had, like, an entire cabinet of ceramic bears. They weren't just all over the house. They were, like, all, um, yes.
1: (laughs) My, my, no, keep, finish your thought. I'm Uh. I'm doing the silent hand.
0: (laughs) They were all, like, put away in a cabinet so that they were safe and they wouldn't get broken and stuff. But I, I find it interesting, all the stuff in Annie's house are these little, just, like, generic trinkets that you would expect to find at, like, your mom or your grandma's house Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, like... Brett and I don't have any photos of either of us out.
1: I'm interjecting before you get into that part because I want to relate. Like, my grandpa, when he lived in Alabama... And across the street was, like, his best friend, Larry. And Larry's wife collected ceramic pigs. And they were all over the yard. Like, she had, like, this imaginary herd. And if I remember correctly, every time Larry had to mow the yard, he'd have to pick up all the ceramic pigs. And so every time he would go over there, it was like the pigs had moved. (laughs) They were all facing different directions. And it was, like, crazy as a kid to be, like, rolling by on your bike and be like, Oh, fuck, are those real pigs? Are those Medusa (laughs) pigs? What? the fuck's going on with these pigs go ahead
0: <laughs> No, um it's like I, I don't think we have any pictures in the apartment anywhere of us hanging up or our family members hanging up but like that's a fairly normal thing you go to yeah. somebody's house and especially if they have kids or whatever you know there are photos hanging on the walls of the family um and i find it incredibly interesting that annie has all these trinkets all over the house that are kind of vague trinkets that mm-hmm. You would find maybe in anybody's home, but they're trinkets that she likes and trinkets specific to things that make her happy. But the only photos in her house, like, we learned she's been married. I didn't know she had had a kid because that's not not something they really mention in the movie. Um, And you don't know, like, we don't know if she had siblings based on, you know, what's in the movie. She had to have had parents. She exists. Mm -hmm. And there are no family photos anywhere in the house. The only photo she has anywhere in the house is the Shrine of Paul. The shrine
1: of Paul and the picture of her as a younger child.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, there is a picture of her. But, yeah, like any identifying personal marker in her house that you would expect is dedicated to him. Mm -hmm. Like there's no actual photos of her, which is crazy. Yeah, he's
1: become one of her strange little icons that she's obsessed. Mm -hmm. It it, it elevates him to the point of God, you know, and he is not as self-assured. He doesn't believe in these books that he's written. He thinks they're shit for trash audiences. He's just trying to make enough money. you know.
0: To be fair, it's like an 18th century love story. It Exa- probably is. Trash. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think
1: it's an interesting reflection on maybe the way King felt about himself at the time because this comes, if it came during the Bachman years, as I understand it to be, <clears throat> he did that because he wasn't trusting his audience anymore was also trying to get off cocaine and so i think maybe the paranoia was birthed out of a deeper place but um it was done during king's bachman years where i think he identified his own pattern and he goes am i a hack or if i can write these under a different name would they be as successful um the problem was bachman got very successful (laughs) <laughs> and then people that were reading King were going, Man, you should read these Botman novels. They're fucking incredible. They're the, he's the next great Stephen King and then they were like, Oh shit, that's Stephen King. It's either
0: plagiarizing or <laughs> Yeah, so
1: he ironically proved his own point. Yes, they love my formula. <laughs>
0: <That's funny>. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of his characters are kinda of quirky too. Like his characters are kind of all oddballs. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah.
1: Well, he's a he's a guitarist in a rock band. Is he? Yeah, he's got like I think it's I'm not going to even attempt to remember who he's in a band with. But pre COVID, yeah, he was like a 70 year old man with a guitar up on stage, like doing cover songs and shit like that.
0: I did not. He's know a that. quirky
1: fucking dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's probably the best example because they literally call them call themselves the lovers or whatever because mm-hmm. they keep getting called the losers. Um um, but yeah, like I, the characters that are the side characters are even kind of adorable in a lot of yeah. his work. And like, I don't know how much of this is based off of, well, you said the wife wasn't in the book at all. Yeah.
1: All right. The wife was not in okay.
0: the book. So I don't know. Maybe the sheriff is, the like... sheriff
1: was hyper not involved in the novel. Like it was kind of, it, it took longer in the novel In the movie it's like a four week experience, but like he has a birthday in the novel. So, like, he's there for a lot longer fighting this pill addiction.
0: I get the impression in the book that it's a couple of months... Or in the movie that it's a couple of months that go no, by. No, because the
1: snow never dries. Yeah, but it's, so it's snowy, not- like,
0: <laughs> four or five months of the year here. True. <laughs> um, yeah, but we, we see him... Like, they do the cliche thing movies do where he changes outfits a bunch Mm. of times, and then he's building up his strength and all this. So I get the impression, like, at least a good month or two has gone by. Um... Well, I guess that blows my point, though, because I was like, the sheriff and his wife are this really quirky, <laughs> cute couple, and they're I, not I, in the book. <laughs> I, I,
1: I think the great Rob Reiner might have thrown that in, you know, as a nod <laughs> to Stephen <Great> King. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I don't know. I'm, so there's probably better examples than that then. But yeah, a lot of his characters are these quirky little fun yeah. characters that are memorable. Got um, yeah, the, the sheriff and the wife, even if they weren't. In, were
1: Danny in and the, the, the Shining. They're adorable. Danny and the Shining is like your your key character watching Jack Torrance go mad. But he's quirky and fun and like he's seeing ghosts. That was kinda
0: creepy.
1: In the movie he was. In the book he was adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Cujo, the the, everybody in the town's not saving them from the Mastiff that's about to fuck their life up. (laughs) Does everybody know? Yeah, they know all about the dog and it's like in the middle of a street and the dog is attacking the car and the pregnant mother and the baby and they just let it? Just that's what Cujo does. Cujo well, I know. is that.
0: But I I didn't know the town I was like, the ah, neighbor a neighbor across
1: the street in Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Judd. Yeah, the
0: neighbor's pretty <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> But I and I like um I
1: wouldn't go burying anything over there in that old Pet Cemetery.
0: <laughs> I like um uh, I that that has to be in the book to some extent. There's no way they made all that up for the movie. Um Annie and Paul's kind of play off of each other mm-hmm. like I, I like that for self-preservation he kind of goes with some of her crazier thoughts yeah. like he becomes indulges,
1: a POW in a way
0: yeah like he indulges her romantic notions even mm-hmm. though he's like this bitch is crazy <laughs> um I don't find it terribly realistic in real life that he would have been as sarcastic as he was with her, but yeah. it's still fun to watch. <laughs> well,
1: that's his personality. Maybe that's the benefit of not getting a proper backstory for the character in the film, is I could believe him to be an angry World War II vet, because I believe Khan was an angry World War II vet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that scene where she's like, hey Paul, and he flips her off through Go the window. fuck yourself. But she's like, oh, you kidder. I was like, that's pretty fucking funny. Like, I don't think anybody in that situation would have done that. That's
1: hilarious. <laughs> I'm writing your stupid fucking book for you, Annie. <laughs> I'm
0: out of notes, though. You got anything?
1: I got one more thing, um, and then I'm gonna see if I left out on my fun facts. Um, one of the original ideas for the book, right, mm-hmm. not the movie, one of King's original like rough draft ideas was that it was gonna end with Annie living and Paul dead. She was going to flay his skin off of his body, feed his meat and bones to Misery the pig, like Pinkerton shit from Canada, and then bind her own personal manuscript of the Last Misery book. And in his blood, write Annie Wilkes, or whatever her last name was, first edition. And that's how he initially set out to close the novel wonder what changed his mind. Um, he got off of cocaine.
0: <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty creepy ending. That would have
1: been a pretty creepy ending. It would have been pretty fucked. The the, the best Stephen King ending to date, uh, for me, of the ones that I've read is in my favorite Pet Cemetery, uh, where everything's happened. You know, the kid's re dead. He's buried his wife, and then he's sitting there playing solitaire and smoking cigarettes in his kitchen, and he feels his wife walk in and put her hand on his shoulder hmm. and then it ends it's my favorite Stephen King ending of all time
0: was he going to have her bind the book in the like tan hide of his flesh yeah. That would have been creepy
1: Yeah, that's how that movie might have ended if he didn't kill Annie but Stephen King, one of his earlier ideas for ending it was to have her in her isolation bind her final copy of the series and kill the author would have been pretty wild.
0: Saying, been Don't disrespect
1: the king. Um, oh, this is it. So I've got one more for you, and then we can roll out of here. I'm going to make you sketty, and we're going to watch something. Hopefully, nothing as stupid as what I made you watch last night. Yeah, can't I can't even believe I remember that. what that was. It's called
0: The Circle. I can't believe you picked it was It was
1: ridiculous. I thought it was going to be funny. It was not funny. No. <laughs> um, one of King's first typewriters had a malfunctioning N. Um,. In the novel, Paul's typewriter, as well as the N, drops the T and the E, which are the two most common letters in the English language. So instead of just missing an N like we do in the movie, he's also not allowed to spell the word the, because yeah. he can't have a T or an E. So Kang limit, limited his character from the three most common letters Fun fact. to write the novel for Annie.
0: That would be obnoxious to have to go back and read your rough draft later. Yeah, with all those missing letters, you'd be like, "What the fuck
1: was that word?" It happens on a typewriter, and what you can do if you are out there typewriting is, I have I can't remember what they are. I know the R is one of them. Um, You have to figure out where in your keystroke you need to slap the key harder than the rest of the keys, Um, because when you got an old typewriter, like you have to go for like straight key dives. And you probably need to go ahead and repair that. Before I was gonna you say you should it. probably
0: fix it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't don't tell people <laughs> to smack their typewriter.
1: No, not smack the typewriter, <laughs> but like if you're hitting it with your ring finger like you would with the R, then slam the R, <laughs> you know, and then keep typing. It, it creates an interesting sound when you're writing with messed up keys. because are you angry? We got anything else, love? No. You ready to go eat some sketty? Yep. Ready to drink some wine? Yep. Ready to watch something better than whatever the fuck that shit was last night? Yes. All right. <laughs> I love you. I love you. And I love you, guys. And we will talk to you on one of the future episodes. <laughs> Not making <laughs> promises about when <Benton> anymore. <laughs>